Ephesians, if you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter Mark, chapter 4, I'm going to read from there in a moment. I don't remember, because I don't remember going back that far, not only these people remember things really good when I was young, but I do remember, I don't know how old that was, probably, I'm guessing 12 or 13 years old, it's back in 1970, sounds like a long time ago, well, I'll make it feel better about myself, it was back in 1984. But it's back in, I think I was 13 or 14 years old. I think I was 13 or 12, around there. Now, my family, we didn't, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of money. We weren't, actually, the truth was, we were just, we were poor. But, you know, when you're poor and your parents don't tell you you're poor, you don't know you're poor. We enjoyed life. We had a great time as best we could what we had. We didn't know we were poor, you know. And really, by today's standards, we weren't poor. Mom and dad were in the home. We were blessed. But growing up, you know, we, I had a friend of mine, his parents worked, worked and made really good money, and every Christmas his parents would allow him to get one gift. That was it. And I couldn't believe him. They made money. They had money, a nice car, they had money. And his parents and my mom and dad would give us, you know, three or four or five, six gifts each. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I said, man, I can't relate to that. I said, one gift? I said, yeah. He goes, and if I say something, I don't even get that one. I said, man, that's abuse. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, so here we're in school, and so we get a chance to get something for Christmas, right? And my parents did it this way. Everyone does it different. On Sunday morning, we wake up for Christmas. My mom would have all the gifts out. We have a chair. That'd be my chair. be Carrie's chair and have all my gifts out. We wouldn't do a lot of wrapping. Y'all be laid out. We'd get up in the morning early, and I thought that was so cool. I mean, it was just to me, it was the best thing in the world. Lay on and get up, and you go see your chair, and you look at all your gifts. And, and but like all parents, I'd say, what do you want for Christmas? I tell my mom, I just want one thing. The one thing, I want a bike. I want a bicycle. She's going, okay, okay. So I've been telling her that forever. And something I said reminded me of Ethan. Now I know where Ethan gets it from. <laughs> so I'm waiting and waiting like any young kid waiting for Christmas to come, waiting for that morning to come, waiting, waiting, you know, all night long. You know, we didn't know any better. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I honestly thought Santa Claus came at night and ate the cookies. My mom would leave cookies out with milk out and some sugar cookies. And they'd be gone in the morning. Honestly, I thought Santa Claus came and ate them. You know what? If you believe that, you're still, it's okay. You're not, worried. You're not worried crazy. You know, kids believe all kinds of crazy things. I turned out okay, right? I'm preaching to you. Didn't warp me. Uh, you know, so but it's a cool little thing. And you're a kid. You, know, you obviously realize it's not true. But <clears throat> so Christmas comes along. And I remember because we're about, about, about ready to say Christmas comes along. And I go to my chair. And all I wanted was a bike. That's all I wanted. It was a bike. I'd go to a chair. There's no bike. All it was was a scooter. People don't even ride scooters no more. You don't probably know what a scooter is. It's just a piece of wood with four wheels on it. <laughs> you just roll it. You hop on it and you roll it. Now, it's a scooter. So I said, well, I'll start crying. I said, oh, I, I didn't want a scooter. No one rides a scooter. I want a bicycle. I remember I threw a fit. I remember now I feel bad about it. But I, I, I cried. All I wanted is a bicycle. All I wanted is a bicycle. Now I, now I know where Ethan gets all this drama from. Gee, man, he, I, I, I can see Ethan and me. All I wanted is a bicycle. I didn't get a bicycle. I want to get a bicycle. And I remember telling my mom and dad, Mom, you have, you have, you've just, you, uh, what was the word I used? I remember this. I remember saying it to her. I said, you have just damaged your child for life. I said, you have hurt me deeply for my rest of my life. I want to be damaged because of this. I remember saying that to my mom. I was like 13 years old, 12 years old. So now you can know why I'm damaged, okay? 
all of them Chris was a bike. A survey was asked, they asked people, based in USA, but this has been done all over the world. What's the number one thing you wish you could have? Uh, you know, name what you wish. If there's something you really want more than anything, what would it be? And the survey that was done, most people, not all, but most people, 89% of people, most people, 80-90% of people in industrialized nations said all they want is peace. Your money, I want peace. Uh, it's titled this simply called Christmas is Peace. Peace be still. You are living in such a crazy world. Listen, these are, these are modern headlines that I have. You want to read these? He made up. Listen to these modern headlines. It tells you the kind of world we're in. There's, I, I didn't look it up to this time, but there's many, many nations at war as I speak right now. So much can happen in a short amount of time. And really, I can understand why the greatest thing we'd all want to have is peace. This world wants peace. Listen, these are headlines, modern-day headlines. These aren't made up. These are real-life, modern-day headlines. It says, <clears throat> Get it, hold on. what in the world is coming? Well, what is wrong with this country? Putin threatens to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Biden says Putin's nuclear threat brings us the risk of Armageddon. Americans rapidly lose any hope towards 2023. Will nuclear war be the end of our modern-day civilization? This winter, Europe plunges into the dark ages. World War III is coming for sure. We are headed for big tech tyranny. Biometric blockade. Political uh, critics have... Bank accounts frozen as government tends towards total control. The actor Russell Brand leaks Amazon PayPal system to the mark of the beast. <laughs> Israel moves closer to a cashless society. These are real headlines. You read that and say, no wonder no people want peace. You get up, you don't hear anything good. Most, we get up, it's just we're on edge. Our world's gone crazy. Man of the year is a woman. How does that work? Man of the year is a woman, and, and, the, and the woman who won the, the women's championship in swimming is a man? And to top it off, I saw, I could not believe it. Kids are allowed to go to church, go to church, go to school, identify as what they want. This girl went to school identifying as a tiger. And she expected the teacher to treat her like a tiger. She had her tail on and everything. Well, I don't know if they do it like that. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I, 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 you, you see these things, you read these things, and say, this can't be real. But that's the world we live in. After he listened to all his headlines, and then at the end of it, it says, peace. The world is coming to an end. <laughs> so I, I could see why we'd really want all of us, not just standard in general, why we'd want peace. Because you live long enough, and you know what you want can't be found in a store, you can't buy it, and that's peace. You go through all the storms of life, that the things that happen to people that we don't ask for, that come our way, death of a loved one, disease, famine, problems, job, no money, pain, sickness, goes on, divorce, all these things that come into our life, and sometimes all we really want is, is some Peace. Nothing else, just give me some peace of mind for a moment. Just give me some peace for a moment. That's all I really want. 
just to have a good night's sleep, peace, and to be worry-free at night, be able to lay down your head and don't worry about nothing. One of the greatest things you could have as a Christian is to know the peace of God and to have it in your heart and life. May not have all the money you'd wish, may not have the things you may like, but if you, if you have and you possess the peace of God, you have something that's worth it. Money can't buy what you have. My nephew, Manny, he delivers these multi-million dollar cars I mentioned a while back. These are cars worth millions and millions and millions. And he said, every one of these multi-millionaires that he met has a chance to meet and drive their cars because he comes out to drive them. See, every single one of them, none of them are happy. You see, every single one of them are worried about having more. And a lot of them are waiting to get more than the, uh, the people that they're comparing their life to. And he said, I think it's crazy. They got multi-million dollar houses. I mean, their houses, their cars, they got everything you think you'd naturally want. And yet they're unhappy and they're worried because someone may take what they have. They don't have any peace. Think about that. I read an article at Salt last week. Because people will do anything to find peace. They take drugs, drink, and fentanyl and all these different opiate drugs that are out there. People are taking a lot of these drugs. 94,000 people died of opioid overdose last year. 94,000? But what caught my attention was a special they did on professionals that are losing their life by overdosing on fentanyl. I thought it was odd. Professionals losing life. I think of someone overdosing. I think of a young teenager ain't got no sense. Buys it off the internet, buys something, and drops dead, like we had in our own church. In fact, the gentleman that was in our church who, who, who died from an overdose, I asked him one day, he's in church, and I said to him, I said, where are you getting your drugs from? He said, I can't tell you, Pastor. He said, because I'm afraid, afraid to tell you, you'll go to the police. I said, well, the guy needs to, the guy needs to be shut down. I, he may give you something. You don't even know what you're taking. He said, I know, Pastor, but it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bound. I, I, have, I have to have it. And I said, well, one day you're going to take the wrong thing. You're not going to wake up. And that's exactly what happened. Took some drugs, didn't know it was in the drugs, overdosed, didn't wake up the next morning. But this article that I saw, this special that I saw was, it talked about professional people losing their lives through overdose. And what happens, this one was like, a, she, was a, she wasn't a doctor, a medical doctor, but she was a doctor of education. Her sister's also a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And she's telling her story about her own sister, how she overdosed. And she said it started with, she got in a car accident doctor gave her some Norco, I believe it was, for her back pain. And after the back pain medicine went away, she went to go get more medicine. And that's when the opioid crisis really hit. All the doctors withdrew from the pain medication. And the doctor says, you, you, you know what, I'm not going to give you no more pain medication. You had enough, that's it. And they went to the other extreme, took away everything people really needed. His sister really needed something for the pain. But because he went the other way, she had no way to get it. She tried getting it. It's fine. She said, I have to buy it any place I can get it. She started buying some stuff online. She bought some pills she thought were just simple Norco. She's, she's got a master's degree in education. Her sister finds her dead at home. And they're finding these med- people, professional people, make a lot of money, they can't get their drugs. Why? She goes, I-, I had the pain, I want some peace in my life. To me, that's like, that's crazy, isn't it? Well, people, the length people go through just to have some peace in their body, some peace in their mind, peace in their emotion, they'll do almost anything to get it. And people are actually doing it right now. You go to a funeral, if you look on the tombstone, what does it say? 
right on this tombstone says, rest in peace. Because we assume, and what we're saying is, if the young man or young woman, mother or father, never had any peace during their lifetime, at least now they found some peace. But as a preacher, I got to warn you and tell you this much. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you never surrendered your will to Jesus Christ, trust me, dying is the beginning of your problems. The last thing you want to do is die in your sin. It says rest in peace, hoping people find peace. So let me talk about peace and how to find it. I didn't put this in the orderly fashion, but how to find it, pursue it, protect it, maintain it, hold on to it, say what you want to say about it. But really, there's nothing greater that you and I could possess than the peace of God in our hearts. Sometimes we don't realize the blessings that we have in our life as a Christian because we've had them for so long sometimes. We almost take the peace that we have in our life. Maybe it's not perfect peace, but we have peace. We take that for granted. So I'm going to use this text in Matthew, Mark chapter 4. And I know it's not a usual text for Christmas. I know that. But trust me, if you've come to church here for a number of years, I've preached on baby Jesus a lot. I preached on baby Jesus till he's grown up, you know, the whole nine yards of Jesus. I, I preached on uh, no room in the end, 30,000 sermons on no room in the end. I preached on Mary. I preached on Joseph. I preached on the gifts of the Magi. I, pre- I mean, preached all these sermons on Christmas, all these different types of sermons. I mean, all, all these years, been here, whatever, how many years I've been here, five years, ten years, whatever it is. You've heard all kinds of sermons I've, I've preached on Christmas. How many of you agree? If you've ever heard a sermon, me preach a sermon on Christmas, time, raise your hand. Have you ever heard one sermon from me on Christmas? Okay. The rest of you, just try to stay awake then. Because I, I preach every year. Okay. Four years, from, four years ago, Christmas time, what did I preach on? What was this? Te- you can't cheat. What was the text? What was the title? None of you can even remember. So it doesn't matter what I preach on. So I'd say thank you. That's why I have a job. Because <laughs> you don't remember anything I preached on already. All these years, you don't remember one sermon on Christmas. So it doesn't really matter if I don't preach on Christmas. No, you just, you just proved it. <laughs> don't feel bad. It's just reality. Don't feel bad. The preacher don't remember what you preached on four years ago. <laughs> That's the truth. But this scripture, I thought about it because of what I'm thinking about lately, that's the idea of peace. It's not a typical sermon used for Christmas, but it fits perfectly well in this sense. It's a whole sermon. You've all heard many sermons on I've preached about the storm the disciples go through in the Sea of Galilee. It's about a storm. And just to read the text, we'll cover a few points. And at the end of this sermon, it won't be very long, but at the end of the sermon, I really just want to pray. Uh, just a general prayer for all of us. For, not general prayer, a particular prayer. I'll share that in a moment. But let's get into the text. Mark chapter 4. Stay with me. <clears throat> On the evening of the same day, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So I think I'm reading from the New Living Translation, maybe the NIV. I don't remember. So it's probably a little bit different than up there. Let us go to the other, cross, the other side of the lake. So they... Crowd, so they left the crowd. The disciples got into a boat, but Jesus was already sitting, and they took him with them, and the other boats there too. 
Suddenly a strong wind blew. The waves began to spill over to the boat. So the boat was about to fill with water. Jesus was in the back of the boat, sleeping with his head on a pillow. Cyrus woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus stood up and he commanded the wind, be silent or be still. Said to the waves, be still. And the wind died down. There was a great calm. Then Jesus said to his disciples, why are you frightened? And still you have no faith. Verse 41. But they were terrified, ter- terribly afraid. And they begin to say one to another, Who is this man? Even the wind and the sea obey him. So let's go over a few things here quickly. And this number one is what's going on here is if you read up to this moment, a lot has been going on in Jesus' life. They've been, they've been feeding the multitudes. They've been taking care of the people. They've been praying for the sick. They've done everything imaginable that would be in Jesus' life in a day. You can only imagine Jesus, the Son of God. Everyone wants to be around Jesus. It's, and their days are long days. Start early, long days. Of, all they're doing is ministering to people. He's been called the devil. He's been called different names that day. Earlier in this same amount of time, his parents, remember his mom came to him, and his mother was outside the church building that day, and they go, Jesus, your mom's here outside. And Jesus said, who is my mother and my brother? How do you remember that? He said, my mother and my brother are those who do the will of God. That's my brothers, my brothers, and my sisters are those who do the will of God. That's my family. So he's gone through a lot. There's a lot that has taken place to the point that he wants to just get away for a minute. He wants to get a little rest. He said, guys, we can go to the other side. We're going to, just, we're going to leave the multitude. We're just going to get away for a little bit. That's the setting. Disciples can't wait to get away. They're wore out like Jesus. They're beyond themselves. So they're going to get away and get some rest, peace, and quiet. He said, we're going to go to the other side. Nothing strange about that. We'll go to the other side. These are fishermen. Most of them were fishermen, or almost. Now, the Sea of Galilee, I think it's mentioned 53 times in Scripture. The Sea of Galilee is, is a lot more than people realize because where it was located, sometimes there would be wind that would hit the sea and it would be crazy waves. It wouldn't be like a little thing. I didn't know this until I studied this out. Sometimes the waves would be four to 10 feet, and sometimes the wave or the swells would be up to 20 feet. So you're not talking, you know, when you talk about a storm, a real storm at the Sea of Galilee, it could be literally. Terrifying. That's why they say to Jesus, we are going to die. These men are really, really afraid. There's been stories that I also read and study in this, that there's been small boats of people, small boats of 10 or whatever it might be, small boats, that the waves would completely overtake them and be gone. You'll find them, the, the boat or the people, gone. So it was a terrifying place, what I'm saying. It was not easy, you know, little bitty wave, you know. You know, it was a real deal. So they're in this real storm, and there's a reason why they're alarmed. There's a reason why at first they don't say nothing first because at first the boat begins to get a little water in it, no problem. They're not saying nothing to him at that moment. But it gets to a point, it looks like we're about to, we're about to lose everything. It's filled with water. The boat's filled with water. It's like, this thing's going to go, we're going down. So that's, that's the setting, okay? And now, uh, they go get Jesus, <clears throat> And to find Jesus, uh, he's, on, <clears throat> he's in the back of the boat sleeping. Let me, let me go back for a moment. <clears throat> when Jesus tells the disciples, let's get in the boat to go to the side, you and I as disciples, we simply follow Christ, even when it makes no sense. 
These are just side notes. These ain't in the sermon. Side notes. He is our example. He, he got in the boat and he wants you to follow. You and I are going to follow him. And sometimes we, we follow him. He, he's going to lead us straight into the storm. That's another sermon. Straight into the storm. And you're right smack dead in the center of the will of God. You're not doing anything wrong at all. In fact, all you're doing is obeying God. That's why you're in the storm. Because you chose to follow Christ. He got in the boat. He's in there. That's where he's at. You chose to be with him. And this is what you get when you follow Christ. It's not always easy following Christ. So he's in the storm with the disciples. So I have no problem. They get in the boat. They're willing to, they're willing to go with him. And that's not a problem. So as another side note, and I think it's worth remembering as a Christian, Jesus initiated this journey. The journey you're on in faith with Christ right now, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the initiator of your faith. You didn't get saved, you just want to become a great. No, God moved upon your heart and saved your soul. In other words, the journey you're on with Jesus Christ right now, sometimes we forget we're not the author of this thing. God started this journey. God, you initiated this journey or this storm that I'm on. You initiated this. That's right. Remember that. Find some peace in that. Saint your own doing, Christ initiated you and I getting saved. And what he started is, the Bible says he will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. So here we have the storm quickly. The unexpected storm comes. And it begins to beat on the boat. You think they're going to go down. And the disciples go looking for Jesus. And to their surprise, he's sleeping on the back of the boat. Some say the back, some say the front. doesn't matter. But he's, he's on the boat sleeping with his head on a pillow. And they wake him up. And when Jesus says to me, when Jesus gets up and says something, this is a statement that I think we all want to hear over our lives. And that's peace be still. When, when you're racked in pain, problems, life, all you want to hear is God look at your life and say peace be still. You're troubled in your heart. Your heart's broken. You weep. You cry. You're hurt. So when's this financial problem going to end? Am I ever going to get ahead of my life? Is it always going to be this painful? Is it always going to be so unexpected? Is it always, am I going to keep living without any peace at all? All you want to hear is God say, peace be still. That's all we, want. That's all, we all want to hear. It's peace be still. So here he is, the disciples, they find him, Jesus gets up, and he says, peace be still. I wonder how many people here this morning, you know, raise your hand or nothing, but how many people here this morning honestly would say, you know what, Pastor, that's all I really want. Gifts, fine, but Pastor, honestly, really what I want is some peace in my mind, I'm tormented. I'm worried, troubled, worried for my kids, worried for my family, worried about my health. And all you want to hear is God, you just want to hear God say, peace be still. It is what it is when you're life. You're worried, you're troubled, you do everything. You come and even sitting in church, you're sitting here with burdens. You don't walk in here become burdened for you. You come in here and you still have everything you have to face outside this door, you know that. You just want to hear God say, peace be still. Now, how do we 
take ownership or how do we just get peace? How do we protect peace? How do we protect peace? How do we have the dominion that comes with peace? Are there some things we can do? This story tells us some, some simple so, so simple things we can do that we easily forget. You and I, forget about the difficult stuff. It's the easy stuff we forget. It's the simple stuff of obedience that we stop doing. It's not the difficult stuff. It's the simple stuff. We get used to doing it. We stop doing some simple things. And this story just lays it out, some very simple things that I want you to see this morning. And I know now you come to, you come to Potter's House Church I know you've come to hear some deep revelation. When you walk in these doors, you're going to hear some deep revelation. It's a joke, church. But you, you come, you, and honestly, as a pastor, that's what I try to do. I preach to you things that inspire me. I think it inspires me, it might inspire you. That's how I preach. It touches my heart. I hope it touches your heart. That's, that's my style. That's how I am. But I always like to find something. I don't look for it. Just, it's, 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 if you call it a gift or whatever, a liability maybe, I look for a thing. I'm reading something. I see something that I haven't seen before. And that's what I like bringing to God's people. They had read the same verse a thousand times. They never saw that before. Where'd you say? Well, I, don't, I said, I got that from the Holy Ghost. It's truth. One sermon, one scripture, like I said the last week or when it was, one scripture, one paragraph, one line can be a lot more than five sermons. You're never going to take the word of God and exhaust all its meanings. No, no way in the world. So here's the story. Everyone here knows by heart. There's a storm, and Jesus gets up, peace be still. We all know that. But before Jesus says, peace be still, they're very tormented. You know, you think about it. One moment, they're very tormented, troubled, deeply troubled. And just a little time, a short time later, there's a supernatural peace on their life. How did that happen? Notice what it says. This isn't going to be deep. So stay with me and say, oh, no, Pastor, we all know that. Why are you telling us that, Pastor? Come on, stop it. It's point one. It's the only one we're going to get to today. And that's you got to ask for help. It's so simple, we miss it. Think about your life for a moment. There's people listening to me right now. You complain about your life. Some complain, and you haven't stopped to. You haven't stopped to think. You know what? Have you taken that complaint to God? You complain about the condition of your life, but you don't have enough sense to take the problem with your life. You, you, you got to ask for help. The disciples they, they find him. They, they wake Jesus up. They're asking for help. So what are you saying, Pastor? Every one of us, you must learn how to talk to God for yourself. You got to go find him and talk to him yourself. You got to get on your knees and talk to God yourself. Someone can't do it for you. No one can do it for you. Why does my wife or my husband have a peace that I don't have? Because they've talked to God and you haven't. How does a man have that dominion in his life? He seems like he's always on top of it. He's talked to God. You've got to talk to God yourself. You've got to ask for help yourself. And, we can, and you can say, well, I don't want to ask for help. That's fine. You can live like that, and people do live like that, and you end up being someone without any peace at all in your life. You know, you can be in church and still be tormented. 
So, the very first thing that must happen in our life, there's got to be some God's involvement in our life. You cannot have the peace of God in your life without God's involvement in your life. It doesn't work like that. You, you can't have God's peace without allowing God to be involved in your life. Pastor, I'm at the benefit of the peace of God, but I don't want to live for him. It don't work that way. Sorry, Ethan. You got to obey God more than one day. And you think about it, we live for the devil for 25 years of our life. We can say one day, we, we think it's all taken care of in 24 hours. It may take more than one day to get your life back together. But I can't eat candy all the time because it's not good for you. Keep doing your own will. It's not good for you. It's ruining your life. Look at yourself. Look at your wife. Look at your kid. It's ruining. Wake up. I can bring you to church. I can ask you to come to church. I can talk to God. Oh, but you, you yourself got to get on your knees and cry out to God yourself. Starts with salvation. I know this is very basic, but so what? The Bible says there is no joy, says the Lord, for the ungodly. Isaiah 48, verse 22. But the Lord has promised those no evil. They're basically with him. There's no safety for sinners. Those who live by their own rules cannot expect God but nothing but trouble. And the longer they live, the worse it will get. They will live a life without peace. Isaiah says, God says, there is no peace for the wicked. You can't live wickedly and you can't live sinfully and expect to have the peace of God. People say, what's wrong? You need counseling. No, you need to repent. And I know we made it difficult. I got all these problems. I just, what should I do? Just get on your knees. Repent. Just, get, just say, God, I'm sorry. Get on, your, get on your knees and ask God to forgive you your sins. And he gladly will do that. And he will flood into your life. He will forgive you the guilt, the shame, all that. And you'll find peace. You don't, need 40, you don't need 40 hours of counseling. You need one minute at the altar. And there's nothing wrong with counseling. I'm all for it. Thank God for anything that may help you become better. But the bottom line, think about it. We meet Jesus Christ. He, what, what is Jesus called? Jesus is called, Isaiah, what's he called? The Prince of Peace, the Mighty Counselor. The best counselor in the world is the Holy Ghost. So I tell people, come to church. Well, I got this, this wrong pastor. I may not have an answer for that. I may not have an answer for that. I may not have very many answers for very, very many things at all. But I know who does. The God of heaven can speak to your heart like I can never speak to your heart. And God can do things that no man can do. He's a wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. He, he's, he knows how to work in your, your heart. He knows who made you. He knows all about your, your, your temperament, your attitude. He knows everything about you, your upbringing, everything. He knows all about you. He knows what troubles you at night. He knows what gets you up. He knows your thoughts from afar off. And they say in counseling, the best thing you can do as a counselor is you have to know the person. The better you know the person, the better you can counsel them. There's no one that knows you better than God. You're not going to sit down and talk to God. God's, well, you know, I didn't know that about you, Carrie. I didn't know that. But you told me I, I didn't see that chapter of your life. I had no idea you were crazy. Okay. Now I know why you're crazy. Okay. I'm glad you told me. Let me, see, let, me see, let me see if I can help you in that area. No, he knows you better than anyone. The classic scripture in, on Christmas, we, I preached from again, Luke 2. The Bible says the shepherds were staying in the fields, 
suddenly the angel of the Lord appears to them. And the angels say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord is born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. Then verse 14 says, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. People will quote that scripture. That's what Christmas is about, goodwill towards men. But they're not reading it actually correctly. It's a very, not a very good translation. It literally says it like this. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to the men who God is well pleased with. Peace in your life to the men and women who finds favor with God. Now the virgin says, peace will come to the man or woman who pleases God. So if you're not going to please God, you're not going to have the favor of God, you're not living for God, you won't find the peace of God. So people can quote the scripture all day long, unless you give your life to him, it doesn't work that way. He came to bring peace. Yeah, but in order to get that peace, you've got to confront your sin. You've got to say, God, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. He don't just give it to you. There's conditions to it. He says, find favor with me. You please me. You're going to find favor. You find grace. That's what the scripture literally means. Peace to all men and women on earth who choose to please him. Amen. You know, C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, a car is made to run on gas. It would not probably run on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is a fuel for our spirits we're designed to burn, or the food for our spirits we're designed to feed on. There is no other. Listen to this. Lewis concluded, that is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering him about our relationship with him. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Jesus said in Luke, I mean, in John 14, I love how the Amplified Bible says it like this. Peace I leave you. My perfect peace I give you. Not as the world gives, I give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge you face. This is what Jesus gives you. It's a gift from God to you, but you've got to accept it. Now, here's the, here's the other thing about this. It's the same point. You've got to ask God for help. Point two or one A, call it what you want, would be you got to be willing to call out to God. When I say call out to God, I'm talking about choose to ask God to help you. Not just asking him to help you. You need to pray and talk to him. I know it's simple. You call and ask him for help, then you pray. You must pray to God. Get on your knee and pray and talk to God. I don't care what the issues are of your life. You go to him and ask him to involve in your life. Disciples wake Jesus up. They don't have an answer for the storm, and you may not have an answer for the storm you're in. They don't see, they don't see, no, they don't see no good ending here. It's terrible. That's why they wake them up. They don't have an answer. You don't have to have an answer, but we know who does. I have no future, Pastor. Yeah, it looks that way, but you really you do with God. Well, it's, we're going down. It's over. Well, to you, to me, yeah, but not to God. Let's get God involved. Let's see what God can do here. The Bible says in James, I love this. I'm getting ready to close, so hang with me. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God, and he give it to all men generously. You think about it. You and I can come to church. And I, I, know, I know I'm reminding you to pray. Some of you say, Pastor, I don't come to church to learn that I need to be reminded to pray. I already know that. I know, but I'm saying it anyway. You need to pray. But the fact that you and I can come to prayer, you and I can come to God, we come to a God who created the world. We're coming to someone who has an answer. Think about it. We get to tap into the wisdom of God. The man who spoke the world to existence we get to talk to him. You know what? He's sharp. They say the human body, they don't even understand. All the doctors say a lot of things we don't understand about the human body alone. God made your body. If you read anything about the human body, you're always amazed at how it works. You say, how can this be? God made it. You take a child. If I take out the blood vessels of a child or even adults, double, 100,000, take out the blood vessels of a child, just a child, average child, Take the blood vessels out of their body and put them, put them one right after the other, link them together. That's 50,000 miles. That go around the earth twice. And that little child, the blood vessels. Isn't that amazing? They say for an adult, it's 100,000 miles of blood vessels. That's the God we serve. So we have this, it looks terrible. It's water on your head and you think you're going to drown. Yeah, I know it's terrible, but we tap into the wisdom of God. Hey, we're good. I don't know how it's going to work, but you know what? This dude made the world. I think he can figure this one out. I think he can figure out how to get the water out of the boat. I think he can figure out how to get me out of this storm. So I say, pray. Let's talk to God. And no matter who you are, let me say this about our prayer life. Every one of us, we could pray more. No matter how much you pray right now, every one of us can pray more. Uh, every one of us can upgrade our prayer life. Every, every one of us, I don't care if you pray hours for a day already, every one of us can spend more, can use spending more time talking to him. And next week, we have a chance to pray and fast. I have the list here. We're going to be, if you want to come in the morning, we need people to open up at 5 a.m., Daniel's coming. We always have 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. The church will be open. And then we go 8 to 12. And then the evening, 12 to 3. And then at night, we're doing the evening. Come back in the evening, maybe from 6 to 7, to come and pray and fast. Maybe fast the day or fast the three days or fast the two and a half days. We're going to do it on that Monday, Tuesday, and break it on Wednesday at noon. Because the other church comes in on Wednesday. It gives us a chance just to come and pray. So you know what? I, I, I've never broken through. I've never even spent more than five minutes praying, Pastor. Walk in these doors, sit yourself down here, and say, I ain't leaving for a couple hours. You talk to God sooner or later. Or in the worst case scenario, just go to sleep, get your rest. You walk out refreshed. At least you got some rest, <laughs> whatever. Every one of us can upgrade our prayer life. The disciples, they got enough sense to go find Jesus and got enough sense to ask him for help. How about us? Isn't that is so simple? Whatever's troubling your heart right this moment, whatever is foremost on your life, whatever, you're, whatever it is or whatever the things you're facing, why not 
bring that to God in prayer. Why not say, God, this is what's troubling me. This, this is exactly what it is. Here it is. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I want you every head bowed, please, every eye closed. <sighs> In the great promise, God says, the book of Psalms, he says, Psalmist says, In my affliction, I called unto the Lord. I cried to my God, and he heard my voice. From his holy temple, my cry came before him and came into his ears. We all need to pray. You're here this morning. It's almost starting a brand new year. Why not start it off with, you know what? I'm not entering another day, another moment without asking God to help me. But so first of all, let's start there. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not saved. You're glad other people you know are saved, but maybe you're not saved. And this morning, you say, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep living like this, Pastor. I'm going to give my life to Jesus myself. If that's you this morning, just raise your hands. I'm going to give my life to Jesus myself. I'm going to ask him to forgive me of my sins. Here's my hand. If that's you, you want to pray to receive Christ, raise your hand right now. Okay, there's others here this morning. You're here. The Spirit of God's talking to you about you, your life, your future, His plans for you. And you're like myself. You just want to hear God say to you, peace be still. And that's your heart's desire. You're troubled. You're worried. You're hurt. You're broken. And this morning, you're going to come to this altar and say, God, say, peace be still. I need you to bring peace into my life. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Come and find a place to pray. Move out quickly. Come and find a place to pray. I want to do one other thing. Go ahead and have a seat for a moment. Just have a seat for a moment. I'm going to pray one more time just quickly. But I want to pray. This will make sense. My father died in December 16th. I know you've lost loved ones. I get it. But I never bring it up because I don't want to put, I don't want to put, put a damper on it. It's Christmas. So I don't ever say nothing about it. So Christmas come around. What's up, Merry Christmas? It is, but it isn't. I can't explain it. But what I felt when I was praying, preparing this message. In fact, I want you to close your head. Just pause your head for a moment. Close your eyes. And what I felt was, I felt God pressed upon my heart as others just like myself. 
We get through it. No one sees the tears. So the last thing I wanted to do is every Christmas bring up my father's death. It just puts a damper on everything. I don't have that right to discourage the people of God or say anything, so I haven't. It's been years and years. I don't expect people to remember when my father died, but when your father dies, you remember that day. Trust me. But what I felt impressed in my heart, there's people here this morning, you love God. But you're troubled. You're saved, you're going to heaven. But you're honestly going to say, you know, God, I need, I'll use the term extra. You say, God, I need extra help. I need comfort. I need, I need something beyond myself. Some of you are worried, really worried about your life, your family, your marriage. Others, your heart's broken. You don't, no one knows that. They see this one side of you, but they don't know the other side. It's in a thousand pieces. There's people here this morning, you got the strained relationships that break your heart. There's worries that trouble you. The calling of God on your life is speaking to you. Some of you, God's speaking to you and he's calling you. He says, you know what, it's a new day. I'm going to walk with you. And you know that. You sense it. Don't be afraid of it. 